Tanya for the 13th of Kislev, the first story. There was a woman who once came to Lubavitch, came to the Tzemach Tzedek, and she said that she wants to have a private audience with the Tzemach Tzedek. And of course, they explained to her that the Tzemach Tzedek doesn't have private one-on-one -on -one audiences with women. It wasn't modest. And so the, the so she was very upset. She said her, her, her situation is urgent. Her husband vanished one day and she has no idea where he went. And she heard that the Tzemach Tzedek was a miracle worker who could see things that other people couldn't see. And she needed him. She needed Tzemach Tzedek to tell her where her husband had ran away so she at least could get a divorce. Additionally, she had one child and this child was mute. He couldn't speak and she wanted a blessing. So she went to the Gabba, she tried kicking a fuss, the attendant of the Tzemach Tzedek trying to say, I need an appointment. And he said, there's nothing happening. And people saw the commotion. And they, they, they asked her what the matter was and, they, and she explained this. And they told her, they said, listen, there's a, there's a trick you might be able to do. Write on a piece of paper exactly what um, what you need that you need you need to find your husband and you need to, uh, a blessing for your for your son. And I think in this case she just wrote that uh, looking for a husband, and set, and will sneak your child into the Tzemach private study. When he comes in to learn, the child will hand him the piece of paper. So she did it. She realized she had no choice. So she she gave her her son the piece of paper saying, you know, her. Um, his mother is looking for her father so he, she could get a divorce and he's vanished. And so they gave the, they, they hid the child inside. The Thermoch Sedek walks inside. The child springs out and, and has the Thermoch the paper. And the Thermoch Sedek told the boy, go tell your mother that your father can be found in a particular city. Initially names a city. So the boy left the room. The mother is waiting for the child to return. The child walks up to the mother and tells the exact message that the Thermoch Sedek had said. Now she, of course, was shocked that a husband, that a child was speaking after so many years of being mute, and she proceeds to go to that city. Goes to exactly where the Samosetic had said her husband will be, and he was there. He was literally exactly where Samosetic had predicted. And of course, the story started getting around that you know the, the straight up double miracle that the Samosetic had done. And the Samosetic was he wasn't impressed by the miracle, like the miracle. He just said, I had no idea. How was I supposed to know that this child was mute? When I told him to tell his mother the message, I didn't know that he was mute. I just told him to tell his mother because that's what it said on the letter. Um, the Tanya now is a continuation of essay number four. Essay number five is one we're going to do today, which is very long. It's also quite complex. Um, it's a, it's it's a continuation. It really does feel like a continuation of the previous theme, talking about mitzvahs that are um, uh, Torah that is mitzvah-oriented, Torah that is connected to the commandments of the actual practical commandments. They have the same um, divine influence, let's call it, of the commandments themselves. And now we're going to say that all Torah has this incredible power in it, even Torah that seemingly has absolutely no connection to action. When we say no connection to action, we mean that it's talking about things that will never happen. The, 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 the Torah talks about such, so much hypothetical um, activity. And, and we'll say, well, what use is there? In, well, how much elevation can we bring to that part of Torah? And the answer is a lot, actually. But, it, at, you know, um, um, at first we would think that that wouldn't be the case. Let's go. We're going to move quick. Understand the parts of Torah, the laws that will never occur, how those could be elevated. Things that will actually never happen. And of course, the Mashiach comes, it's not going to happen as well. 
Prate, Dine, Pigo, Kai, Gavna. There's laws in regards to um, intentions a person has when they bring a sacrifice. These are laws are, are very complicated, very hypothetical, and almost sure to be unlikely to ever happen. They, they're, just, they're never going to happen. So you learn about them and you're wondering, okay, well, this is never going to happen. How much elevation am I bringing? Because what I'm learning is never even going to ever occur. Now, everything that's prohibited in this world, where, how does it get its energy? Something that's negative in this world, something, for example, let's, let's make a practical a pig. Where does a pig get its energy from? It also comes from God. Everything comes from God. So it has its source in the neg negativity, which is also being given by godly energy, by way of, let's, let's say, God throwing it over his back, but it's still coming from God. And it, it descends and descends and descends until it makes its way and gives energy to a pig. Because if not for godly influence, nothing, everything would cease to be. So in order for this pig to be continuously alive, it needs to have godly energy. But of course, it's a pig, and it's not able to be elevated, which means it's its energy went on a very, very long detour, a very long road trip, and now it's just getting very, very weak energy. Any form of negativity, or let's call it non-positivity, a person fancying up his hair, and said, well, what's wrong with that? Not much. But, the, but the, the, the point is, that's not something intrinsically positive, and therefore it's getting energy from the spiritual chambers of of the clippers, which means that this level number one is actual evil in this world. Then this level number two, which is the higher world, has has its um its energy source, you know, as it's slowly descending down into this world, that also gives its energy to let's call it negativity. Even things that have no form of a practical relevance in this world, their source comes from the from the higher worlds. The gamma protein and also the the gamma protein is going to say a, a slightly complex idea, but the, the general concept is, is that only for where's the, the source of the, the evil, let's call it in this world, is things that people do on purpose. But people think that people do it by accident. Well, that that seemingly might not not come from the higher world. So someone says it's going to going to elaborate on that in a moment. But the point is, when a person, for example, is counting his animals, and every tenth animal is going to be holy to God, so he, in order for it to activate its holiness and to be counted. So you have the line of sheep, and they all go, and you have red paint, and you count it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The tenth one, you paint it red, and you know now this is a holy. This is a sheep that's dedicated to giving to God, giving the kind, giving to, to not keeping for oneself. What if a person, for example, counts nine for ten, which is not possible to be on purpose? It's an accident because it was on purpose. Well, it's not an accident, and this is talking about the laws of accidents. Accident means it's not on purpose. So you learn about these laws, and you're like, well, how's this? How is this ever? A practical uh, application of a law. Now, the, uh, the Thomas is going to make a um, a quick note to explain um, to explain a little further. Nearly, Thomas says, even if it's an accident, it still has its highest source. But the point is that we are learning so much laws that seem to be 
entirely irrelevant. And we, what, what, when we do anything in this world, we're elevating those things that we come in contact with within those worlds. Now we're learning Torah, as explained in, in, in the previous massive letter, when we do involve ourselves in learning Torah, we're also doing elevation. But what about when we do elevation on something that seems to be not possible, seems to be entirely hypothetical in nature? The Altava says something brilliant. He says that in addition to the clip in this world and the clipper, the source of the of the impurity, let's call it in the higher world, there's also something which the Torah makes possible that 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 needs elevation. By the Torah discussing possibilities and the Torah discussing things that could possibly occur. And any any wise student that comes up with something originally comes from Moshe. When Moshe gave the Torah, he gave the possibility for the elevation of even hypotheticals. So you say, well, where's the source? Because it has no practical application. And so on. the answer is nothing. The Torah is a source. And that's good enough for us to be able to learn about entirely ridiculous, I don't want to use the word ridiculous on Torah, but you know, very far-fetched things that we clearly learn and realize that are never going to happen, nonetheless, we elevate those things just by extension of it being part of Torah. Now, where does Torah get this wisdom? Supernal wisdom, which means the highest level of the highest world, it is the source of Torah. And as we mentioned in earlier letters, it makes its way down to the lowest level of the highest world. And that's the origin of Torah. What the highest level, the highest world, its source, where is it getting its energy from? God's unlimited energy. So every single law is an extension of God's unlimited energy coming into the highest world and an extension from that, the father giving birth to the daughter, where daughter is again, a throwback to that, that letter where the Altar talks about the system of Torah and the origin of its source. And then from so unlimited energy to the highest level of the highest world, which is to the high, lowest level of the highest world, which is and then in turn, it goes down to the three lower worlds, and it goes on just long travel, and when we in, in, interact with this uh, law of terror, regardless of how practical that law is, we elevate So what happens is, is that evil is able to also get um, energy from that, that journey, and as the light of God comes down, Evil grabs onto that light, especially in the lower levels of that light. In the higher levels, it's just too powerful for evil to get any form of connection to. But in the lower level of that journey, as the light's descending lower and lower and lower, and then starts making its way to the, low, the final world, let's call it the world of Asiya, now evil says, well, hold up, let me, let me grab a little bit of this energy because it needs to survive. How else is it going to live? By your day, so what happens is when a person then learns that Torah, that negativity that's cleaved to that Torah that the person, you know, as the Torah's energy slowly gets down and evil starts to connect itself, now a person learns the Torah and they're learning hypothetical, they're learning about, you know, intention a person has, hypothetically speaking, when they're bringing a sacrifice to God. This is so, so, so far removed from practical application. But what's going on is that that Torah has 
negativity is cleaved to it. And when a person learns it, they strip the negativity from the pure Torah energy. And we have this really radical statement in the, in the Gemara. And the Gemara says, why was the basement destroyed? Because, or why was the land destroyed? The Navi's asking, and he says, they didn't bless before they read Torah. They read Torah without getting the, the blessing of the Torah before. You say, well, that's, that's, that's really radical. Why would an entire land of Israel be destroyed because they didn't bless on the Torah first? In context of our discussion, however, it makes quite a lot of sense. They stripped the godliness out of the learning of the Torah because they didn't bless God. They didn't draw down that energy. The, a massive function of the learning of the Torah was stripped away. It wasn't just that they forgot to make a blessing or they chose not to make a blessing. Because that's not really, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not, it's not worthy enough to destroy the entire land. What they're doing is they're stripping the unlimited godly energy, the very top of the godly uh, process of, of Torah getting its energy, they just stripped it apart. Now, how is this actually working out? I'll, I'll be honest, I don't fully understand. That, I don't fully understand, but I'll explain it a little bit. There's a visage of, of, of the likeness of a man in the higher worlds. And when we learn Torah down in this lower world, the higher worlds, this, this, this counterbalance of godliness is also involved in Torah. So just like we have Tefillin, Hashem has Tefillin, there's, there's a counterbalance of, of this all. And when we learn Torah, Hashem also learns the same Torah. And by us learning Torah, we're triggering Hashem to, give Torah, to learn Torah, thereby elevating that cleanness of impurity to that system of Torah that made its way down. That's that's the a, a, a summary of the idea. And that's the reason why you have people coming in, in reincarnations over and over and over again. And you're like, well, they learned that tire already. And that's just, well, did they do it with all the different parts of their soul? Maybe they didn't. And why is that so important? If it's not even practical Torah, the answer is because there's elevation to be had in every part of Torah. Of course, in the Torah part that talks about putting on tefillin, of course, there's elevation because we can understand that. We're in this world to do tefillin and learning about tefillin is like doing tefillin. Learning about Torah, tefillin helps us actually do the tefillin. So we see there's, there's, there's practical application to that learning. And of course, when we learn, we, we elevate. But even when we deal with hypotheticals, we also elevating. And therefore, for a person to get the opportunity to elevate the, the laws dealing with the concentration a person needs to have when they're doing the sacrifice, which is entirely hypothetical, or, part, or in part hypothetical, well, they need to come back down in another incarnation in order to elevate that spark that they didn't get a chance to build. So all 288 sparks, 613 mitzvahs, all the different parts of the shama and all the different ways of interpreting the Torah, all of those need to all be activated by a soul. And if a soul didn't do it, well, it needs to come back down again, to do it again. Of last love it. When Mashiach comes, when Mashiach comes, however, we're not going to be involved in, in, in fixing up. Mashiach, it's, it's fixed. The world's going to be fixed by God. Now, so why are we going to do mitzvahs? What connection? What are we going to be doing? It's going to be all about doing good. Uplifting our soul. When we do a mitzvah, Mashiach comes. It's not going to be about fixing anything because there's nothing to fix. We not. We don't need any fixing. The world doesn't need any fixing. There's no sparks of toyo that need to be elevated. So what are we doing? We're elevating our soul every single time we do a mitzvah. Mashiach comes. 
Tikon, the Chassan Ramach, Mrs. Asif, all about negative mitzvahs. When we keep away from doing negativity, when Mashiach comes, what are we doing is we're elevating the, the counterbalance of, of, of Chesed, the, the Gevura, holy um, Gevura. We're elevating that by refraining in it. We don't just need Torah in order to elevate this world. Torah continues even after Mashiach comes because we're elevating ourselves, elevating both the positive and the, the negative, the let's call the proactive and the inactive parts of our soul and part of God, the inactive and proactive parts of godliness when we do a mitzvah, Mashiach comes. And so these negative mitzvahs, which you say, well, Mashiach comes with what there will be no elevation to be had by the negative, like the whole discussion of his altar. So absolutely not. We'll be elevating our soul as well in a different type of level, not, not redeeming anything, because there's nothing to be redeemed when Mashiach comes, but we'll be elevating the the gavura, the this level of gavura, and bringing it closer to godliness and bringing our soul up higher. And that will just be a continual state of going higher and higher and higher, and that will be the experience, the Mashiach experience. Thank you so much for joining us. 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 Thank you so much